You are listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast, where we provide top insights into sports leadership to inspire team captains to lead their teams more effectively and help coaches to systematically develop and use them. Now, here's your co-host, Luke Poulos. Captain's Coach Podcast. I am your host, Luke Poulos, and whew, today was a fun one. Really one of my personal favorite conversations I've had on this show, and just in general, one of the best conversations I've had. Scott Mann is my guest today, and he was awesome. Scott spent 23 years in the Army and 18 of those in Special Forces as a Green Beret. He is the founder of Rooftop Leadership and serves as a consultant to government organizations, companies, and local law enforcement. He is the best-selling author of two books, Game Changers and Mission America, and has given three TEDx presentations, all three of which you can find easily on YouTube right after you listen to this episode. And trust me, they are well worth the combined half hour of your time. We cover a lot of ground today, starting with the narrative and narrative warfare, dissecting narrative from perception and messaging and how they all come together to create a story his fundamental leadership values, most importantly, stressing the importance of individuals as meaning-seeking, emotional, and social animals, as he puts it. We also dive into the first aspects of an organization he looks at when helping them improve their culture, and he gives one awesome exercise that any team leader can do with their team tomorrow, next week, or next month. We talk about the importance of communication, relationships, and attitude, and specifically, the importance of using relationships as our assets instead of revenue or our win-loss columns. Scott shares two of the best examples of leadership from his personal life and professional life, and one of the best, most succinct definition of leadership we have heard on this show. Two awesome book recommendations also come out of this episode, The War of Art and The Little Book of Talent. If you want to learn more about Scott and his work, check out those YouTube videos I mentioned before, grab a copy of his books, and head to his website, rooftopleadership.com. One alibi for me on this episode is please forgive me for the sketchy audio quality on my end. I'm in the market for a new laptop and will look into an upgraded microphone solution. Luckily, Scott's content is unaffected, so I'll get out of the way here and let Scott bestow his wealth of knowledge, experience, and advice on another episode of the Captain's Coach Podcast. Hey, Scott. Thank you so much for joining me on the Captain's Coach Podcast tonight. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks, Luke. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's, it's always awesome to have somebody from the military background on the show because it really highlights the transferability of, of leadership skills, you know, across all boundaries. And you know, as our listeners know, leadership does really transcend military, business, life, sports. So anything you hear on the show, obviously we're going to relate it back to sports. Um, but Scott, with your, your experience in the military, um, it, it's going to be a huge experiences for our listeners that they, that they don't usually get and kind of just are stuck with uh, our normal sports conversation. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah, me too, man. I, 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 I do see a lot of, um, you know, 
connection between leading leading troops in battle and leading military folks and sports uh there's a there's a lot of correlation there yeah it's definitely definitely a fine line for sure and i think a good place to start this conversation and it kind of goes back if, if our listeners remember a couple guests back we talked a little bit about narrative you know what is narrative in terms of warfare and and what would you describe narrative engagement as yeah so i i use narrative a lot um and in many ways when i even in my book game changers luke i talk about leading with story and and i actually probably use storytelling or story more than narrative uh i do interchange them the the the, the phrase that i like to to challenge leaders to develop in themselves is what I call narrative competence. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the ability to use storytelling in real time to meet your goals when you're engaging other human beings. And the reason that I think it's so important, narrative engagement, narrative competence, storytelling, however you want to frame it, is that we are humans are story animals. You know, I've been around special forces for over two decades and operating in low trust, high risk environments where the language was different, the ethnicity was different, socioeconomic status was different. But the one thing that could bridge all those trust gaps and bring people together was story. I could tell a story about farming tobacco, the crappiest form of tobacco uh, farming on the planet, you know, that I did when I was a little kid in Western North Carolina. And the elders in those Afghan villages would just show those yellow crooked teeth and laugh their butts off, man, because they understood crappy farming. Yeah, um, a story could just bridge all that. And, you know, as humans, we, we are wired to actually make sense of the world through narrative. We tell ourselves a story, whether we're looking at a PowerPoint slide or hearing a, co- a, a coach talk about, you know, the strategy for the next game. We will tell ourselves a story to make sense of it. So the smart leader is the one that tells the story instead and lets that be what hits your listener instead of their own story. Yeah, and I think that's a really great way of framing it. You know, Ben and I had a conversation on the show a couple months back, mm-hmm. strictly about storytelling and the power of storytelling. So, if, if you've listened to that show before, then you know the the is by or the hero, yeah, the hero of the how the faces and, and the hero's journey, and you understand that concept and how powerful that narrative is across all cultures and every culture across time across the planet has had a similar structure in their storytelling. And I think it just goes to show how powerful that form of communication is. And it's almost similar to if you can think listeners out there, if you can think the last time someone was trying to describe something to you, how much easier it was to understand when they put it in an analogy form or formed it in the frame of a story and just how much easier to understand and how it kind of hooks your brain. And it's a pairing of the idea, the strategy, the tactics, how much better. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely true. I mean, that everything that you just said is spot on. Um, you know, when I teach at the Green Beret qualification course, I, I, I get in front of those, those young leaders and I talk about, you know, how do you go into these low trust environments and, and own the room when you have to go in there? And, and what I tell them is, you know, humans are meaning seeking, emotional, social story creatures. And those are all just four realities of, of human nature. And if you learn to 
not only communicate through story, but also ask and listen through story, you're going to own most every room you go into. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge piece. And it kind of goes back to one of the tenets of leadership. We have the captain's coach that that leadership is a form of self-expression and understanding how to express yourself and how that expression is received by others is such an integral piece of leadership across the board. And how would you kind of separate or, or delineate between narrative perception and, and messaging and how those kind of all interplay with each other? Well, narrative, you know, first of all, so the question is narrative perception and messaging. Is that what, yeah, that what you're the, the, All three separate. So narrative, how that, how that's different from perception and how that's also different from messaging. Yeah. So, um, first of all, as, as, as emotional creatures, you know, we're going to, we're also status creatures, right? So humans, even right. though we're pretty modern, we're constantly assessing our status uh, in the context of other human beings. It's how we've survived all these years. I mean, we, we operate in a social manner. So all mammals are social. Humans are the most social. So I'm always assessing at a semi-conscious level where I am in relation to the other humans around me. That's why we form tribes and clans and teams and squads and platoons. And it's, it's just what we do. We, we, we sit atop the food chain because we're able to group and, and form teams better than any other mammal right. or any other animal. So perception is a big part of that. You know, as an emotional creature, as a status creature, I'm always evaluating my own status based on the actions of others. And in doing that, I, I tell stories to myself and I form perceptions. And, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an instinctive driver of social behavior that's been around for a long time, as long as we've been stomping around this earth and it's done a lot of good, but it can also it can also, you know, be a problem. Like, you know, a lot of times the perceptions that we develop on what's going on around us, especially at a social level, are inaccurate. Uh, and in a trust depleted environment like we live in today, perception can be downright dangerous mm -hmm. to, to an organization or a team. So, you know, I, I believe in high performing teams, perception is, is okay for an initial indicator, but I want to turn perception into fact as quick as I can. Right. Um, you know, and then, so as far as narrative goes, you know, um, th there's different levels of that. You know, again, we are in the words of Kendall Haven, the author of story proof, uh, homo narratus, you know, the story animal. So we tell stories to ourselves, we tell stories to other people and we, we listen in story. So, you know, the, 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 the impact of narrative on our, on our psyche and on our decision making is actually quite profound and so we all we actually have to be a little bit careful when we are receiving a story because it, it hits on such an emotional cord that often we can be moved to take action uh that is purely emotional right it's not necessarily based in, in, in logic or fact and all of a sudden you know you're taking action based on a, on a narrative that just moved you emotionally and if mm -hmm. you don't believe me look at look at isis you know, right. these, these are men and women who commit untold atrocities based on a narrative that's hundreds of years old, uh, that's, you know, that's landed on them in an emotional way. And then finally, on the messaging front, you know, I kind of look at messaging as a, as a counter to perception. You know, I, I look at, if done right, you know, messaging through solid narrative can dispel uh, you know, perception, 
and, uh, and, and move people to a level of understanding that's much more accurate and much more in line with your goals and theirs. So I look at messaging as a formal tool to basically reduce perception uh, or at least, you know, hone perception in to a better level of understanding. That's, that's how I approach it as a leader. Uh, that's how I approached it as a Green Beret. That's awesome. No, that, that makes sense to me. And I, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Scott, but so basically perception is what drives our narratives and the stories we tell ourselves, at least from the initial, the initial point. And yes. then we use messaging as leaders to influence those around us to have a clearer perception and accept and come to realize the the reality that is the situation around us and form a accurate narrative. Is yeah, that absolutely? Yeah, no, that's well said. And and like I said, <laughs> and it can go the other way too, where messaging comes at you through narrative and then it forms your perception of things. Um, right. The thing we should always remember is that because narrative is an emotional vehicle. So it will move right through the limbic brain and it will land on your chest cavity and it will fire you up. Um, and that's great, but sometimes we have to be careful, right? Because there are great storytellers who are charlatans. Yes, yes, for sure. And that's where that kind of manipulation versus influence kind of plays a part. The second tenet of leadership we have at the captain's coach is leadership is influence. But there are times and situations where that influence kind of toes the line with, with manipulation. And I think the, the divide there manipulation is either out of falsehood and a, and a false narrative, or it is for a personal gain or not completely congruent with the organization's goals. So I think that's kind of where you divide those, but I, but I love the idea that it can go both ways. It can be used for good or for bad and can give outcome on an organization. Uh, for sure, we see it in sports all the time. Teams tell themselves, you know, they're, they're this down and out team. It's a, it's a not a great organization. If that's, that narrative is being received around your locker room, around the, the league you play in your opponents, then, you know, it's the self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you're a message as a leader you know uh, I had a coach on a couple months back talking about when he took over the team you know there was one team in the league that had dominated for 10 years and this is my my actually my high school cross conference and narrative that he portrayed from day one was he used a picture and told a story and it's it up, lines up perfectly with with your your earlier descriptions there's diving towards the opponent you know he was chasing him down and it was a diving check and he was kind of he used that as a narrative that hey this is who we're chasing we are chasing them and we're not going to stop until we pass them and he yeah. used that narrative and that story to frame his whole strategy for an entire program for the next decade and they've had phenomenal success you know, it, it's amazing to see what that turned into over the past 10 years. Yeah, that's great. And the thing that as if you're think, if you're sitting here thinking about this as a coach or any leader, you know, what I would say is that the reason that that works the way it works is it's called autobiographical listening, right? So 
one of the things that's so compelling about storytelling is that it has been an essential survival tool for humans for thousands of years. I mean, you can go anywhere in the world and you might find primitive societies that never invented the wheel, but you'll never find a society that didn't have a fire pit and storytelling. And, right. you know, and, and so what is that all about? Well, if you think about it at the end of the day, when we sit around the fire and we, we cover, you know, the hunting, the foraging, the fighting that occurred that day, the farming, uh, the hardships that we endured and what we learned along the way, how we changed and, and, and what that does is story becomes a vehicle for, for learning and acceleration of, of technique that is unprecedented. Right. And, and, and I'm absolutely convinced that it, it, it is part, a huge part of our social evolution. And one of the things that happens in a well-told story, if you stop and think about it for a second, if you watch a good Ted talk or you go to a movie at some point you locate yourself in that movie or you're right. in that story. And so if I'm telling a story about my dad's battle with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, his battle with cancer, you're probably at some point thinking about your mom's battle with cancer or losing your sister to cancer or crap, I hope I don't get cancer, you know, and, and, and you come into this, the safety of this narrative bubble and you start to process your own life. And that's where, you know, storytelling can whisk people away onto this amazing journey of success. And like you said, with the picture of the, of the guy diving, like that is that people locate themselves in that story and they commit. And, and that's the beauty of storytelling as a leadership tool. Yeah. And that is a great little uh, yardstick there for, for storytelling and a narrative that you hear in you get or, or even people on your team telling a story and and I can say from experience I definitely felt that in, in the two of your TEDx videos that I've seen and for our listeners out there if you're interested there's and you should be interested there's three awesome TEDx videos by Scott on YouTube if you just text Scott in, I'm sure all three of them will pop up and I can say I felt that in in the two that I watched um, you really do and if you think back about last Facts a little bit is, you know, you see yourself on the team. Where do you fit in on the team? Or you see your team in the same situation that the team or the players in that movie are going through. So I think that's a, that's a great way to frame it. And it's just, it shows you how integral narrative has been today, how it's been in the past. And, and how important, and obviously this is kind of a loaded question, but how important do you see narrative being in the future and specifically the future of warfare? Oh, wow. It's huge. Um, you know, so if you want to look at warfare, I mean, again, look at ISIS. If you want to, if you want to ask yourself how important narrative is, I mean, this is, this is a narrative of the Islamic caliphate, right? A seventh century caliphate, uh, a, a, a geographic parcel of land in Iraq and, 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 and Syria that was at the height, you know, of the, you know, of, of Islamic rule. And to this day, all those centuries later, right, the, the reestablishment of an Islamic caliphate is so compelling to a small fraction of Islamist violent extremists that they are willing to not only kill themselves in the pursuit of this narrative, but they will commit atrocities that are, are beyond the pale right? To, to get that done. And this is all storytelling. And, and so, and this is in the modern world. I mean, these are not, you know, these are not 
deranged necessarily individuals or, um, you know, mentally deficient individuals. Many of these uh, people come from wealth. They come from high levels of education. And it's just one example, right? Where, so in my estimation, in terms of warfare, narrative is going to, is going to continue to be at the epicenter of, uh, you know, combatants. And the problem that I have right now with the United States and, and Western way of war is we don't value the power of narrative the way we should. And I think that's why we're still in a 19 year war. And that my son who was three when the towers fell is going to be over in Afghanistan next year fighting the war I didn't finish because we don't think about narrative in that way. And then I would say similarly in leadership at home, we have a similar problem with value on narrative. Yeah, and and that's a great point, Scott. Just talking about some of the shortfalls we've had from a strategic standpoint, and I think it's prevalent. You know how powerful storytelling is in our in our own culture, our own society. But then realizing how powerful, and I should say, not realizing how powerful it was at the time, not realizing how powerful that narrative is in different cultures, and not understanding that. Hey, sometimes how we view narrative as a as a linear path, some cultures view their narratives in a cyclical manner, and that it just keeps coming back around. And not understanding, and I kind of it kind of goes back to perception as well. Not understanding what we perceive is not always what they perceive, and what they perceive is not always the message that we're putting out or what facts might be because of how powerful like you said, from the seventh century, how powerful this narrative is in that area. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and the thing, again, when you think about the people you lead, okay, whether they are athletes or green berets or tribal elders, humans at their core, at their operating system are meaning seeking, emotional, social story animals. So meaning seeking, we will not take deliberate action without purpose. It's just the way we're wired. We're the only creatures on the planet that actually operate off of a why. And, you know, that's when you stop and think about that, that's pretty profound. But how often do we just ignore purpose in what we do? How often do we ignore, you know, vision and, and the why of why we're going to take a certain action? But yet at a, at, a, at, a, at a primary human level, we don't act without it. If we don't know the answer to why, we won't take action that's meaningful or it requires us to stick our jugular out. And so narrative answers that question. Narrative, it provides meaning and context to a human being. And so just by definition of learning the skill of storytelling, you're going to be able to address that whole meaning seeking, emotional, social story, animal piece with one tool. And that's really good news for a leader. Oh, for sure. And, and as a leader, being able to tap into that, into your, your subordinates or, or your teammates, being able to tap into that is huge because without it, you know, your people kind of are operating on autopilot and it's hard to make them change their behaviors without some sort of why. And I think that if you're, if you've seen it in everybody uh, around you at some point or another, you know, you're kind of like, Hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And they don't know, you know, they, there is a why behind that, but they've kind of been brainwashed or, just gone into that autopilot mode where they're doing what everyone else is doing, or they're doing something that's not necessarily beneficial to them because they've just completely ignored the purpose behind it. And, and once they see it, once they realize, Hey, this isn't actually what I, what I wanted 
my long-term strategy, you know, they, they kind of are able to shift that. And that's the real motivation for change. And like you said, as a leader, being able to understand that and being in, being able to tap into that in those around you is what separates transformational leadership from, from just, you know, mediocre leadership. Yeah, I agree. And if you like, if you read sports icons book, uh, Don Yeager's book, great teams, you know, he, he, he looked at 16 habits that great teams have. And the number one thing in all of those teams he evaluated was organizational why they knew their why. And, and, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I tell leaders, look, do you know why you show up and do what you do every day and where that comes from in your life? Like, have you explored that? Do you, do you know why your people do that? And do they know why you do that? Like that is to me, if you're, if that level of understanding through purpose is not in place, then it's going to be very, very difficult for the people on the team to know why they show up together and do what they do. And all of those things have to be answered if you're going to play at the highest level. I, I just, it's just necessary. Like you won't find a SEAL platoon or an SF, a special forces team that doesn't do that. Um, and it, because, because we know that when, when the bullets start flying and things get real hairy, we've got to be able to, to have that visceral understanding of why they're there because everything else is going to fall away. And, um, you know, again, narrative use of narrative, just storytelling is a great way to do that. But taking the time to do that, uh, Luke, when risk is low, before you get in the game, before you right. step into the arena, during the off season, man, it's the, it's the rocket fuel that gets you to the final moment. Oh, for sure. And, and it's, I love that you pointed out, you know, when you do it in times of low risk, you yeah. know, Sometimes it really works out when you're in the middle of the season on a losing streak and you can kind of flip it somehow. And sometimes it takes those really low moments. But honestly, at that point, it's kind of low risk because it's what you have to lose at this point. That's low risk anyway at that point. Yeah. So I I think that's awesome to remember, hey, you know, in in the middle of the playoffs, it's not exactly the best time to try to figure out, hey, why are we all here? What, What are we really trying to accomplish? Laying those things out as an organization before you even start, you know, that's why, that's why businesses have a mission statement before, before anything else, you know, the, the, the culture has to come before anything else. And then you can develop your strategy and then you can develop your tactics and and your actual day-to-day activities off of that. But it really all needs to start with, like you said, Hey, why am I coming to work? Why are those I'm leading coming to work? And does everyone realize that in each other? And, and like you said, until you have that, you're not really going to go too far in the long term. Yeah, because no one has a sense of who you are. Uh, you don't have a sense of who they are. And, you know, like Daniel Coyle says in Culture Code, every high-performing culture has three things. They have um, a sense of psychological safety. Everybody feels safe. There's a human connection across the board. And there's a shared vision, you know. And, and um I wholeheartedly believe that. I think that's right. And, and so, you know, where does that come from? It just comes from the good old school, you know, interpersonal skill set of getting a sense of each other and what we stand for, what we're about, who we are. And, you know, that's deep work that just has to be done if you're going to be a high performing team. I mean. Right. And, and I love Dan Coyle. It, yeah. Culture codes come up. I guess that's two, two episodes in a row or two out of the last three. So if you haven't, listen to or, or pick that one up definitely definitely go for it because he really lays out yeah he does what makes functioning teams function and yeah. those three indispensable characteristics and, and really that that 
that safe psychological space is, is a big one. And it comes back to communication and understanding. And uh, just to touch one more time on, on understanding what your, what your teammates and your subordinates, what makes them tick, what brings them to the table. You know, leadership is a service. It's, an, it's another uh, tenet of leadership at the Capitals Coach. Leadership is service. And if you don't understand who you're leading and why they're there, what service can you really provide? What love can you really provide to them? And what care can you really give them? If you don't even know what it is that they want, what they hope for, what they see their role as in this team, how can you accomplish any of that without understanding their basic reasons for being there every day? Yeah, I think that's great. That's and, exactly right. Yeah, and, and obviously communication is, is, is a huge piece. You know, everything we just talked about basically boils down to communication and the nitty gritty of, of what that actually means. What are some of the other fundamental values and principles when it comes to leadership that you stress at rooftop leadership, whether it be to your clients, you, you know, those you work for and work with and, and or anything from, from your uh, military experience? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, like you guys at, at Captain's Coach, we, we have, you know, a set of ethos that we believe in in rooftop leadership. And, you know, again, that whole thing, if you haven't seen the TED Talk, I recommend you watch it. It's uh, TED, TEDx Santa Barbara rooftop leadership. Um, but it's all about how we as Green Berets would go into these trust depleted villages and, you know, help them stand up on their own. But in the beginning, they didn't want us there. And so we would have to go up on those rooftops on our own and fight against a, a Taliban attack every night as you know, as we lived in those communities and, and, you know, taking casualties along the way. And then eventually two to three weeks, you know, later one farmer goes up on his rooftop and defends his home and then another, and then another. And then, you know, within a month or so, every rooftop in the village is, is pouring rifle fire into the source of the attack and they break it off before it ever even started and you know the, the way they've always done but it, it was a process right that, that what I just described to you really is the essence of, of what I believe servant leadership or rooftop leadership is first of all you have to start with you have to you have to leave tracks as my mm -hmm. dad Rex taught me which means really having an impact in this world and setting your sights on something bigger than yourself having a, a legacy that you want to that you want to leave you know these these tracks in the earth that don't even serve you. They serve people who follow you. I believe that's the first tenet of leadership is that you have to, you have to know the tracks you're going to leave in this world. Um, I think we should seek relevance in every action that we do. I see a lot of people these days who are trying to be the best. And I don't believe you can be a servant leader if you're consumed just with being the best. I believe relevance is the word that we should seek, at least in our community. We seek relevance in everything we do. And by being relevant to the people I serve, in a lot of ways, I will be the best at things, but my, my higher calling is relevance. I'm relevant to their pain, relevant to their opportunities, and it keeps me connected to the people I serve, you know. Um, and, you know, a couple other ones that I'll throw out there is in rooftop leadership, you know, we believe in putting relationships before transactions. Mm. Um, we believe that relationships are the commodity of yeah. life. And that, you know, whether you are a business or whether you're a team or whether you're an infantry squad, you are measured in the relationship portfolio that you hold. And you build relationships when risk is low and you leverage them when risk is high. Right. Right. You know? uh, so I'll stop there. No, I think that's great. I love the, the relationships over, over transactions. I mean, 
you see it in every great organization, right? Whether that be in sports or the military or business, those organizations, those teams, when you talk to their leadership or you talk to even, you know, the lowest member of the team, what they'll tell you is that they stress their culture and their relationships and their, their interactions and their communication above the wins and loss columns, above the profit margin, above any of their, you know, strategic outcomes comes or, or even better, their strategic outcomes are based on how well their culture is doing and they have just different metrics, but you know, kind of secondhand to that down downstream from that is the success that we see on paper. And I think that's a great way uh, of framing it. You know, the relationships will always come first. And then second, I love being relevant. And I love the idea of not always focusing on being the best, especially when you're in a leadership position. Um, Sam Walker was on my show a couple months back, the author of, of the captain class. And he profiles 18, I think it's 18 of the greatest sports dynasties in the last hundred years. And he finds one thing in common between all of them, one thing and one thing only, a, a, a transformational captain. And that these captains all had very similar traits. And one of the traits that he found very intriguing was that they're not always the best player on the team. And the Brazilian soccer team was his, was his prime example was Pele, who might be one of the greatest soccer players of all time, was never captain of any of those World Cup championship soccer teams there was always another person designated as captain. Right. And when he asked those guys, you know, why was Pele never captain? They, they answered pretty bluntly, when you're the greatest player in the world and the greatest soccer player in Brazil, you don't have time to focus on all the stuff a captain has to focus on. So I think that it, that puts it in the mindset here that if you're focusing on being the best, you're probably leaving out some, some responsibilities uh, for those around you. Some of that yeah. you can't be a servant leader, like you said, if you're focusing only on yourself and how great you are. Thanks for listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast with Luke Bullet. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and check out our website at captainscoach.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Captain's Coach Podcast.